Hey everyone, Ben here with a quick interruption before we get into today's episode to let you know that we have been nominated for a Sports Podcast Award. Yippee! That is very, very exciting. We are actually incredibly honoured and excited to have that nominee. And you, the listener, yes, the very person that is listening to this right now can help us win a Sports Podcast Award and get us on the podium for once rather than always being off the podium. To do so, head to sportspodcastawards.com. Dot com register to vote click on the best olympic and paralympic podcast category where you can then vote for us to win now you will have to listen to the other nominees as well but let's be honest you know you're going to vote for us because you're listening to our show today which means we know you like us and we'd very much appreciate the vote in advance sportspodcastawards.com that's how you do it and we thank you in advance and everybody who votes for us we promise to thank you in our acceptance speech should we win. Right now, I'm going to shut up, play some music, and then you're going to hear me talk again as we get into today's episode of Off the Podium. Enjoy. They're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Philodeau. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got a hit. Yes! Zali Stegel, 132.67, has won at least the medal. She's 0.24 up. You, you please. On the ice with the Gimlet. The Gimlet scoping. Sending Crosby. The golden goal. These golden games have their crowning moments. Welcome to Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast, as uh, we are excited today to revisit one of our all-time favorite Olympians, uh, one of our original guests as far as winter athletes go, I believe, uh, the one and only Brittany Cox, the Australian former world champion, Crystal Globe winner, and three-time Olympian, almost four-time Olympian by the time you're listening to this. It's going to be four-time Olympics, and uh, maybe we won't commentate this time because we might have been the problem last time around. Uh, we don't know. We can't confirm, but uh, uh, this was exciting. Ben, thank you for joining me on this one. You you weren't there the first time around. I wasn't invited, apparently. I'm not allowed to talk to <laughs> mogul skiers because um, I do believe this is the first time I've ever actually spoken to a mogul skier. You 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 did the Andy and the, and the Brittany interviews back in the day. So, yeah, I, I'm excited to be allowed to be able to join today, Colin. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I was going to say thank you for inviting me because uh, the funny thing is about this is we, you know, do well. You're doing a lot of interviews right now because they just they come. I don't know about six or seven per week. <laughs> uh, Day we basically on... sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, obviously, I don't always have time. But uh, when you basically said, "Oh yeah, you know, Brittany Cox is going to be on whatever date," I'm like, "Okay, I'm there." Like, doesn't matter. Mogul skier, I'm there. Especially when we talked before. I mean, it was a great interview the first time around. So I'm glad that uh, of the return guests we're getting, like her and Evan Dunphy, they're people who are, who are worthy of coming back on a second time. Well, Evan, of course, was our very first guest. You did that one back in the day, and yeah, we, with Brittany. So, wasn't our quite our first ever Winter Olympian, but uh, still one of the very uh, OGs within the first ten that we uh, obviously had. So, yeah, I, I I enjoyed this chat thoroughly. I mean, I enjoyed the first chat you did with her. It was a, it was a great interview, and 
I think the, the great thing I love about Brit and sort of what she brings to the table is that she, she's she's very knowledgeable, very well spoken, a lot of fun, like all the all the boxes you want ticked as uh, a guest on a, on a show. So uh, it's, it's it's never a challenge to interview somebody like Brittany and she, she loves the sport. She loves promoting uh, this sport in Australia as well. And we talk a lot sort of about the promotion of the sport and, and just how much not only winter sports, but mogul skiing has progressed. And the fact too, that I think this is the first time I've ever gotten a chance to speak to a teammate of Kingdale Beg Smith. Uh, so th- this this kind of works well for me. I've spoken about Dale at length on this show to other athletes, but this is legitimately somebody who basically was trained and taken under the wing of the great Dale Beg Smith. So we get a bit of fun talking about King Dale. So this is let's just call this part two. If you want to go back and hear the, about her entering the sport and uh, first couple of Olympics, go back and listen to the original Brittany Cox interview. Uh, but here we're going to basically pick up and find out what she's been up to the last couple of years, because I think that was one of the things that was really intriguing for me is that when we did the first interview, uh, she's sort of just broken onto the scene or, or really had her breakout season, which is kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to contact her in the first place instead of just a million Canadians. Uh, and now so much has happened since then. So uh, uh, great interview. Listen to it right here. Brit Cox. thrilled to bring you another return guest here uh i believe it might be our first winter olympian who's returned to the show for a follow-up interview i got confirmation nod going on so yes our first return winter olympian and uh i'm especially thrilled because it's in at least in my mind the greatest sport in mankind has ever had which is moguls uh four years ago we were thrilled to be able to talk to australia's greatest mogul skier brit cox and now she's back Britt, thanks so much for rejoining us on off the podium Thanks so much, Colin. It's great to be back with you guys. And I absolutely love that you said mogul skiing is your favorite. So <laughs> absolutely, um, yeah, you're in the good books with me so far. <laughs> You'll see, I've got, I've got a shrine to moguls events I have in the background. So <laughs> make sure to add yourself to that next time in Calgary or something like that. Uh, but uh, quite a bit's happened since the last time you were on the show. I mean, you've gone on to win the Crystal Globe, World Championship, compete in the Olympics. I mean, I'm guessing it's been a busy four years for you. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been a huge couple of years for me. Uh, yeah, so back in the 2016-2017 season was kind of my breakout season where first event of the year, I um, topped the podium, my first ever World Cup, um, World Cup win. And that was um, a long time goal for me. So I was just super excited to start that season on a high. And then it just kind of all spiraled from there. I, I kept having consistent results and I managed to, to hold on to the yellow bib throughout the entire season and finish with the Crystal Globe um, and then cap that off with the World Championship gold. So it was super, super exciting and um, a massive year to lead into the Pyeongchang Olympics. I'd love to quickly ask about the Crystal Globe. We recently spoke to Laura Peel about what I think is one of the greatest trophies in sport. And she was telling some fun stories about transporting the damn thing back uh, across the world. Uh, (laughs) Did you have to bring that back to Australia at all, Britain? What's that like kind of uh, speaking to Qantas or something along those lines about, hey, like I've got this uh, kind of weird thing that I need to check in. Can I take this in the cabin? And do you just put it next to you, seatbelt on? Hey, just don't mind my Crystal Globe here. Yeah, it's a little bit of a, um, an odd item to travel with, that's for sure, and also very fragile. So it's made of glass, and um, I was – so I received it at the last World Cup of the season, which is in China. 
So I flew and then from there we went to Spain for the World Championships before coming home. So there are a few different stops that I had to actually <laughs> take it along with me. And I had, um, uh, it comes in this big metal case. It kind of looks like a giant sort of esky, but it's it's in a metal case. So you kind of, people are like, what is that? It kind of looks like you're transporting a um an organ on ice or something <laughs> um, so you can imagine me carrying that through the airport um and you know definitely getting stopped at every single airport security um and i knew from what other people had told me is do not check it in um you've got to take it as carry-on because um a couple of years prior um, quite a long a long time prior actually jackie cooper had given her crystal globe to my coach to transport back to australia and he checked it in. Anyway, he got to the other end, to Melbourne, whatever, and opened up the box. And this whole thing was just in shards. Like, oh, you can no. imagine glass. <laughs> wow. So I was carrying this thing, um, protecting it with all my life because <laughs> I didn't want it to smash. And I had it just um, yeah, on the seat next to me on the plane. <laughs> I had it like packed in with blankets and, and that kind of thing. But it was definitely worth it because it's a, a very special piece of memorabilia. And, I'm really lucky to have it on the on the shelf at home now. Because I was going to ask, I'm like, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say this before. Is this something you have to give back the next season, like the Stanley Cup? So you get, you get to keep this. It's yours forever. You get to keep it, yeah, forever. And I actually ended up getting the freestyle overall globe as well, which is the same thing but bigger. Um, luckily, the physio took that one home for me. But, um, yeah, so you get to keep it. It's yours forever. And um, that the box, actually, it's super cool. The box comes with white polishing gloves <laughs> so you've wow. got them to polish your crystal globes um super super special which do you then have to have like a, a shelf or something designated at home to, to hold these i mean do you give them to, to your parents do you do you donate it to like the sports <laughs> the museum at the mcg yeah, put, put the crystal globe in the sock drawer like kind of like i can imagine that if you do have a shelf it needs to get extended all the damn time <laughs> well i've i've actually got them at the moment just um sitting next to the tv because I thought, you know, this is super special. It's something that I want to put on display and be able to see um, all the time. So they're just they're just sitting there next to the TV. <laughs> I think I think there's the- a thing that, that that it's kind of like the sports museum. Like I know, kind of <laughs> they have that Olympic section, and you know they have like little medals and that. But like Australia's winning so many damn crystal globes right now that I think kind of maybe that one of you need to donate one to this because it is such an amazing looking trophy. It is seriously one of the best trophies I think out there in sport. I know Laura Peel is getting quite the collection of them now. And then we yeah. had my teammate, Matt Graham, um, winning the Crystal Globe mm-hmm. last season. So, yeah, I think Aussies are, are going from strength to strength in, in winter sport at the moment, particularly in freestyle skiing discipline. I know during that 2017 season, I mean, you, you talk about your first ever you know World Cup win, and then they just sort of continued after that. You said it was seven in total, right? Yeah, so I think I finished on top of the podium seven times and then on the podium nine times. So super wow. consistent season for me. Mm-hmm. And, and do you do you bother to keep the yellow bibs from all those tops <laughs> or is that something that goes into the sock drawer? Um, I have kept all of them somewhere. I think they're at my, my parents' um, cupboard somewhere and I have no idea what to do with them. I'm open to any suggestions. I've seen... A few of my teammates have made all their bibs into like a quilt or something like that. Um, I've given, I've, I've auctioned off one um, to a fundraiser and I've given one away to my team physio, Peter Hogg. So he's got I, one up on, up on the wall. It is, it's been his physio practice. 
I was, about to, I was going to say, you can see there's room behind me for more. If you ever <laughs> bored with them, you just want to get rid of one more, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, now, obviously, we talked to you last before the uh, the PyeongChang Olympics. I know you competed in Olympics before that, but what was was there more added pressure knowing that you're going into this as a world champion, as the Crystal Globe winner? Uh, did you feel like there was a little bit more weight on you headed into those games as opposed to the previous ones? Yeah, so PyeongChang was my third Olympic Games, and Obviously, from, from what you were just saying there, I was um, going in in a completely different position to Vancouver, where I didn't mm-hmm. even expect to be there, and then um, in Sochi in 2014. So I went into Pyeongchang as um, coming off that successful season as world champion and world number one. So there was obviously a lot of expectation on me from Australia, from the rest of the World Cup field. Um, but I think what people probably don't know is that that expectation was minor compared to the expectation I had on myself. Um, Mm. I, you know, I had huge dreams and huge goals and I still do um, with my skiing. I always expect the best of myself and and want to get, reach my absolute maximum potential. Um, So yeah, huge experience in Pyeongchang. And that was, that was really the position that I wanted to be in going into those games. I wanted to be um, at that point at, um, in some time, at some time in my career, and it was really special that it was going into the games, and I'm really proud that I was able to put myself in that position going in there. Which, at the same time, too, it's your third Olympics, and you're only 23, which is just insane to me to think that at 23, that's your third Olympics. I mean, I'm 34 and have not been to one Brit. Like, uh, just <laughs> you know, share some around. But I mean, like, do you do you kind of build on? given that you'd been to Vancouver and Sochi and added to the pressure that you're doing that there, that that's one less thing you have to kind of not worry about that you've done the Olympics two times before. So you don't (laughs) have to worry about the added pressure. This is, this is just a veteran. You're literally a veteran at 23 at your third Olympics. Definitely. And I think even having, having had the experience of two Olympics going in was even more valuable because I'd been to Vancouver and then going to Sochi, it was kind of like, oh, I know what to expect. It's going to be the same. But in reality, it's totally different. Every experience, Olympic experience is going to be different and you need to expect the unexpected. So I already had that knowledge as well. So I knew, um, you know, I'd, I'd experienced the games, but I knew this was going to be different. So I just needed to focus on this one, one thing and stay focused on what I could control. And that was the process, focusing on my focusing on my skiing and my runs. And um, that was, yeah, that was, I guess, a bit of weight off my shoulders as well, is knowing that um, I was just there to do a job and I knew there was going to be all this hype that comes with the Olympics and was able to kind of put that to the side and just stay focused on the task. Just on that hype too, you mentioned before about sort of the attention from Australia. I know you talked to Colin a little bit in the last interview about at that point when you did the interview, the, the attention sort of hadn't really come from Australia at that point. But we've talked a lot about on this show that generally a lot of people in Australia five minutes before the winter, oh, right, that's right, Winter Olympics, we'll start to focus on those uh, athletes. But when all of a sudden you do have Channel 7 knocking on the door a little bit more than they are during a, a World Cup and a World Championships and all of a sudden you're, you're about to compete and people are starting to realise the achievements and everything you made. Do, do you thrive on that? Do you go, oh, great, like finally people are starting to realise, A, what I'm achieving and B, that Australia has great winter athletes and kind of build upon that added attention that a Winter Olympics does bring for Australian winter athletes? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you were 
exactly spot on with what you're saying there is that kind of the Winter Olympics only kind of comes into the public eye in Australia once every four years. And that's just in that small window leading up to the Olympic Games, even though wherever they're competing internationally on the World Cup circuit every year, um, it's really just the games that um, it's Australian mainstream media focus on. And then obviously a couple of months before the games, they cottoned on that I was um, going in as the world champion and um, the, had the leader's jersey. So I did have a little bit of extra um, media attention there. And, you know, for myself, I can take it or leave it, but I was just really excited that the sport was getting that recognition, especially um, female mobile skiing. And I was really proud that I was able to be a part of that and be able to help promote our sport in Australia. And we've got, um, we've started to see some of the, um, after effects of that now, we've got a really strong women's team um, competing for Australian moguls and we've got so many young girls um, wanting to compete in mogul skiing now. We've got a massive, massive crew both from um, Victoria, the Victorian club, Team Buller Riders, and then the New South Wales club, which is the, um, the Australian Mogul Skiing Academy. There's so many young girls that are, are wanting to ski moguls and um, I can see them now looking up to Jakara as well and it's, it's super exciting and um, so I'm really proud that we were able to get that recognition for the sport. That was actually the next thing I was going to ask because, uh, you know, just from talking to Ben and our other co-hosts, you know, I, I get that the Australian sports, I mean, the, there's not high expectations going to winter games a lot of the time. And uh, I, I, going into Pyeongchang, you said you, you started to get a little bit of attention, but I got to imagine between Pyeongchang and now Beijing with you and with Matt and with Jakara, I mean, you guys are killing it <laughs> time and time again. So you have, you have quite the team out there now. Uh, and mentioning that you have, uh, you know, new people coming in. I mean, you're 23 years old, but I got to imagine with three games under your belt, are there people coming in that are, they're skiing now, or you're like, you know what? I got into this because I saw you ski. Yeah. It's, um, it's really exciting. I've, I've got a few teammates now who, um, you know, I, I remember four to six years ago um, being there and like signing their helmets and things like that. Now they're on my team and um, I'm kind of the, the type of person I, I'd say I love to learn from everyone around me, whether that be, um, you know, my idols like Alicia Campbell and Lydia Lassula all the way back to my teammates and the people around me, my friends. Um, and so now I'm learning from those those teammates and those athletes who I inspired when I was younger and now they're on my team and I can learn from them. And um, it's just such a positive culture and environment within our team at the moment. So I think that's part of why we are becoming such a strong and successful team. And as you were saying, we've got Matt Graham now as the Crystal Globe winner going into the games and um, my teammate, Jakara Anthony, who finished second on the tour last year. So we've got a super, super strong team and um, it's going to be really exciting to see what we can do as a team, as a collective at these games. Um, and I was actually speaking to one of my idols, Alisa Camplin. She's been a little bit of a mentor for me over the last few years um, the other day. And she's like, she's like, oh, I can't believe it. We've got, you know, you, Jakara, Matt, Brody, um, such a strong team going into the games. And then these young guns, these up and comers, um, she's super excited to see what we can do as well. So, um, I think one of the things that happens in freestyle skiing in Australia is what we can see happening is that success breeds success. And we see that in the aerial skiing program as well. And now we're starting to see it happen in moguls. So um, yeah, it's a really, really exciting time. And um, I look forward to, to seeing what we can do this season. 
Which is always fascinating. As somebody who has always said the Winter Olympics are the real Olympics Brit, I've always been someone who has just been in love with them. And, you know, I remember growing up, I mean, I remember when we won that bronze in Lillehama, that, that breakthrough bronze at the short track, Team 1, Zali's bronze in, in Nagano, and then obviously the, the flow that has come from there. But it's just insane to look at what Australia has achieved at that. And freestyle skiing is the forefront of that. Of our 15 Winter Olympic medals, eight of them are in freestyle skiing. Uh, and three of those are, of course, in, in moguls. We know where two of them have come from, and I'm going to mention a certain legend uh, a little bit later in this interview. But it's it's crazy to think that, you know, 20, 30 years ago, if you were to say where we would be now and just th- that sport and what you're saying there, you've got these young people sort of coming up and looking up to, to yourself and, and other people as well and, We've also got the Jeff Henke Centre now in Brisbane and just kind of all these things that are just completely changing the sport. Where, where, where do you think if we were having this conversation in 20 years' time, like how far do you think we could go? Are we going to be all of a sudden talking about that we're sweeping the podiums now in <laughs> Olympic Games at, uh, you know, Mount Hotham's hosting the the 2038 Winter Olympics, you know, things like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, you said it. It's, uh, I mean, the the potential there is huge right now and um I think like what I was saying success breeds success but we've had you know when I'm overseas and I'm training I often get people on the chairlift being like wait you're a mogul skier and you're from Australia aren't that you know people just associate um sport in Australia with swimmers and surfers and AFL players but the reality is we have super super strong um skiing or winter sports team particularly particularly in freestyle skiing. And we have that rich history there with obviously the likes of Lydia and Elisa, Jackie Cooper, and then Dale Begg-Smith in mogul skiing. So we've, um, you know, we've got these people that have set the bar high and then we're trying to chase them. And obviously their success has brought in the funding for us to have these opportunities, like you were talking about the Jeff, Jeff Hankey Olympic Training Centre, which I was lucky enough to to use last year and that's been an absolute saving grace during the pandemic because it's meant that we've been able to train at home in Australia um, when our competitors are overseas on snow so um, yeah it's these facilities that have come up that have allowed us to to train and, and now we're reaping the benefits of those and having results so hopefully that has a flow on effect and um, like we were saying before we can inspire the next generation um, to to follow suit do you think there's a reason why moguls has taken such a part in Australia's success? I mean, growing up, it was all about the aerials, of course. Even before the Olympic success came, we had, you know, Kirsty Marshall, Jackie Cooper kind of doing great things on the world stage. And then obviously, as you're saying, Elisa comes along, uh, you know, Lydia comes along. We've had David Morris as well, you know, medal at the Olympics. But moguls was kind of one that... I used to always watch the Olympics and go, this is this is bloody crazy. Why the hell are you skiing on bumps? Like your knees must be dead. But then obviously with the success that you've had on the world stage, you know, Jakara, then obviously with Matt and Dale and all that kind of stuff, like this is kind of almost like a, a go-to sport for Australia now. I can understand aerials in some weird way because it's like they just steal all the gymnasts. So, you know, why not? But how, how does this success come from mogul? Like where did this begin, Australia's love of moguls? Yeah, I, I think um, it is, you know, it's, it's quite a unique sport, but I think to, to answer your question there, it comes from a few different avenues. So we've got um, part of it is the success that we've had in the mogul, Australian mogul skiing team. So obviously Dale Begg Smith's gold medal in Torino was just King like, Dale, just bang, to say that. set the tone. <laughs> um, I know he was a massive inspiration for my two teammates 
um, Matt Graham and Brody Summers. And so he's inspired that generation of skiers. He's brought in the funding for us to have the facilities. But then there's also this other element that we've, we've actually got a World Cup standard mogul course in Australia that we're able to train on. And it's actually one of the toughest courses in the world. So we're so super, super lucky that we have access to train on that course. And then we've also got a couple of um, athletes, sorry, a couple of key figures who have enabled us to make the most of those resources. So um, Peter Topolovic, who was the head coach of the New South Wales Institute of Sport and is based over in Jindabyne, he basically got that run and that, that World Cup standard run um, up and going for us. They got it summer groomed and um, there's snowmaking on it now so we can actually train on it for longer periods of time over the winter. Um, and then you've got obviously that, you know, the likes of Jeff Henke from the Olympic Winter Institute of Australia, who's pushed and pushed to get the water ramp facility going. So there's a few people who have kind of pioneered the sport and, um, and pushed it in that direction. So we definitely have a lot to thank, um, a lot to thank for with those guys as well. Got to, got to quickly ask just on the topic about Kingdale. Now I, I know, <laughs> Colin brought up, you know, uh, he, he, he's got to be a kid. Come on, like this, this. if I have one goal on this show, Britt, it is just for Australians to just realise the legendary <laughs> status of this man. You know, it's just it's, he needs to be talked about more. But he, how, how is he? Have you talked to him recently? What, what's going on with Dale? Is he on his island? Like, is he going to be making an appearance I, in Beijing? Like, what? where, where is I Dale? I don't know. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, I think it was just yesterday or the day before they announced Beijing are only selling tickets to Chinese residents. So my family, we're sitting at the dinner table last night and mum's saying, oh, we can't come over and watch you. I was like, mum, I really don't think that that was going to happen given the, <laughs> what's going on in the world right now. But um, yeah, so I don't think we'll be seeing Dale in Beijing. We did see him, uh, the last time I saw Dale was at the 2019 World Championships in Deer Valley. So um, he just rocked up out of nowhere. Um he came there just to watch and to cheer us on, which was really cool. And um, and then we also saw him at our pre-Olympic camp before Pyeongchang. He he came over with um, his family. He's actually got three young kids now. So Great. came with his family to have a little bit of a ski around and, and chat with the team and catch up, which was really nice. But I think, um, yeah, Dale, like you were saying before, this guy needs more recognition in Australia. But to be honest, I don't think he really wants it. He's a bit of a... Um, you know, likes to keep a low profile. Um, now I think he's just uh, spending all his time and energy into to being a good dad he's, and to into his family. So, he's an enigma. Um, <laughs> he just really. <laughs> Who is. knows? Maybe we'll see some some uh, some mini bag Smith kids shredding moguls hey, in a couple of years. Mini time. Bag Smith. <laughs> mini bag Smith. That, 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 and just just saying. Next time you speak to him, just there is a, a random podcast that would love to. He's our dream guest. Uh, <laughs> just just saying, and uh, you know the enigma. I mean, again, he is co uh, equal greatest <laughs> winter Olympian of all time in this country in terms of medals won. So. Uh, yeah, yeah so I mean he was super generous with his time with both Matt and I when we were younger athletes on the team and um you know I can only imagine him being being a good dad um in that regard to his kids so who knows maybe there'll be some some future superstars um of winter sport coming through there yeah I'd love to hear a little about your Pyeongchang experience um you know we had gone into those games uh having interviewed you and Andy Naughty who probably were considered the two front runners and going through the qualifications, the semis, it looked like, you know, this is going to be the battle of Brit versus Andy. And uh, you know, obviously you know, 
some things you, you can never predict what's going to happen. I mean, we actually live commentated uh, the the finals, and uh, we had some great moments. Like no, no, no. But uh, I mean, <laughs> has enough time passed that you can reflect on that and then kind oh, of? Uh, or are you the type who picks it apart? Like oh, this is what should oh, happen. I've reflected on that so much you, you couldn't believe it. Um, but just quickly on that note, Andy is one of my favorite athletes. She yeah. was such a ripping skier. She's retired from skiing now, but actually this morning I saw she completed, completed her first ever marathon. The so marathon, she's still yeah. wow. a, an incredible athlete. So shout out to Andy. Um, yeah. But going back to Pyeongchang, that was oh, such a wild experience. Obviously there was so much um, pressure and expectation, um, but actually I felt pretty good on the day. I was, skiing well and um obviously went into the super final in second place so um andy in the top spot there so we were both in in good shape there um going into the super final i made a mistake on the top jump and that's really all i can say about it is um that's that sport and that's what happens and you know i've gone back and watched that run and analyzed you know what i could have done differently and um and that kind of thing but you can always say what if um and you know, if if everything went perfect in sport all the time, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be fun. It wouldn't be what it what it is. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, it was a bummer. I, I wanted to put down the best run that I've ever done, and um, it was right there within my reach, and it slipped through. Um, but now I can look back on it and go, you know what? I I gave it everything. I gave it my all, and um, for that is some, that's something that I'm super proud of. And um, I think I know within myself that. Um, I'm more than just a mogul skier as well. So yes, I wanted that so much, um, but I can definitely learn from that, that experience and um, know that I feel whole and feel happy with myself um, to continue and, and um, see what else I can do with the sport. Did it make it easier or make it harder that, uh, I mean, feel free to be honest, although I, I have a feeling I know which one your answer. Uh, knowing that you had teammates there, it, this isn't like Vancouver or Sochi where, you know, maybe there's not as high expectations, everything, but you go in and you're like, okay, well, that didn't go my way. But then you see what Matt did and what Chikara did. I mean, did, did that, did that kind of help soften oh, the blow? Absolutely. Definitely helped soften the blow because um, Australia had such high expectations um, for us to do well in women's moguls. So, oh, thank God Jakara could um, <laughs> deliver on that on the day, which was awesome. It was really good to see. And like I was saying before, it's helped um push women's mobile skiing in australia and um yeah so that was that was really special but also then obviously matt the next day getting getting the medal was also a massive highlight i mean that that was just in a, in and of itself an exciting day so um yeah really special for our whole team we're all really close they're they're like brothers and sisters to me so um obviously i was was really excited for them as well we talked a bit during tokyo with Jess Fox in terms of the order and the fact that we, Jared, our other co-host, Australian co-host, we were like, from a spectator's perspective, it sucks having to watch her go last because it's kind of like, oh, like it's so tense. And then if she makes one mistake, you're like, shit, oh, like it makes you that way. When you're competing and you're going second last in that final, so you basically know that if you get top two, you want to, you've won a medal. Of course, you no doubt want to win the gold, but do you prefer in those situations to be able to go last so you know what you have to beat? Or is it more of a case of, I'd rather qualify six for the super final so I can just set the benchmark. I don't have to have that ex extra pressure of knowing I have to get this certain mm -hmm. score to walk away with a medal. Yeah, 
that's an interesting one. I think for me, probably doesn't matter so much. I, I really, I do like the idea of qualifying highest because I think there's one, there's the element of like, you show the judges that you deserve to be there and that you can do it, but you also show that to yourself. Um, you're like, okay, I have the ability to do this. Uh, usually when I'm up there, I think to some people it might be a little bit different. I generally don't pay that much attention to what other skiers have done before me because really what they do or what they have done isn't going to be able to change what I can do. I'm still going to go and put down the best run that I possibly can. And also I've got so much going on in my mind. I can't put anything else in there and be like, oh, okay, so I need to score, you know, seven in fives in my turns. Like I, there's no there's no more space left up in, in my mind for that. So I think some guys do pay attention to that. They go, oh, maybe I need to, to up the tricks a little bit like that. And um, but for me, you know, it's about what run I'm going to do. Um, yeah, I guess if you qualify six, you can kind of be like, well, I got nothing to lose and go for it. But um, I'd, rather, I'd probably rather be in that, that top spot. And we call that the squeeze box. I, I don't mind being in the, in the squeeze box. <laughs> squeeze box. I like that. You mentioned sort of you've got a lot going on in your mind. I mean, is that just down to, okay, this is the strategy I've got. This is what I need to do. This is what worked in the in the qualifying. This is what I've got to improve on that. I mean, can you kind of give us a bit of an insight into Britt Cox's mind at the top of a hill at an mm. Olympic Games? <laughs> Definitely. Um, I, I had another conversation with Elisa about this the other night. As she was telling me in Salt Lake City, right there before her last jump, she was about to hop turn and go, and she said she could feel her heartbeat like boom, boom 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 and she said there was a split second there where her mind could have been taken in the wrong direction being like oh my god this is what I'm about to do and just thinking about the magnitude of it but instead she knew that if she started to let her mind go that way it would take her away from focusing on what she needed to do and that was the cues of her jump and so on and so forth so she stayed focused on what she was doing and I said to her when she told me this the other day I was like oh, I can completely relate to that because that's that's what I like to to do when I'm up there in the start gate as well is I'm thinking about my run. I'm thinking about my breathing and being present in the moment and focused on what I need to do. Um, because in mogul skiing, there is so much that you need to think about. There's so much variety in the sport. You've got two different jumps. You've got the turns, entry into the jumps, the body position, the landing, the speed, all of that going on. So um, there's not really any space to think about anything else. So for me, it's really about saying eyes on my own plate focus on what I've what I've got to execute in my run um and one of the techniques I use to bring myself into the present moment so I can focus on that is different breathing techniques um and just different grounding and centering techniques so up there a couple of people before I go I'll usually do like a six seconds breathing in six seconds breathing out for a couple of rhythms um a couple of times and then um visualize my run stomp my feet and then I'm ready to go is there even a point where the crowd is something you even notice? Because until I started attending Moguls events live, I didn't realize like how high up you are. Like you're, you're off the first jump and I'm like, oh, okay. They started already. Like you, you don't realize this is very high. I mean, I, I got to imagine you got to be probably pretty close to the bottom before you even realize there's a crowd there. Or do you, do you, are you completely plugged in and you don't even realize that there's anybody there? You're not listening. Uh, probably depends on the venue. If you're somewhere like Deer Valley where there's, sometimes 5,000 people down the bottom, you can hear them no matter what. Um, and I like to use that energy to, to fuel the fire and to get me ready to go. But, you know, no, I don't try and let myself get too caught up in that um, because I know that I've got a job to do and, and to focus in on that. 
Um, you can definitely hear it, but it's kind of more of like a, a distant sound and, and something that's out there. But then once you get to the bottom, it's just like, boom, you can take it all in. Is it a case that you just get so sick of hearing cowbells after a certain point that you just, you know, uh, <laughs> just go, I just block them out because they just get so annoying? Or do you relish the cowbells? Well, I think that's more of an alpine skiing thing. I've seen some of those World Cups like uh, Kids School and, and that in Austria, and I can imagine there it would just be absolutely deafening because every, every single kid or person on the side of the run has a cowbell. Mogul skiing, I think, is more about the music and the screaming and um, and that kind of vibe. But um, I remember one of my favourite crowds was actually at the World Cup in Japan where they bring up all the school kids from the, the villages around Tazawako to come up and watch the World Cup. So the side of the entire course is just lined with these little Japanese school kids yelling and screaming and um yeah i i love it I, it gives me good energy and um you know it, it's it's nice to know that these kids are getting excited for what you're doing i love that i, I mean imagine if there was everyone in south africa you'd have the vuvuzelas i remember that during the world <laughs> cup but I, I swear like like the cowbell thing just they always just seems to be one at any winter sport like i swear there's been some at ice hockey that people have just gone and watched the downhill <laughs> that day and they've just gone to the ice and hockey then that come to the re- just, ice rink yeah exactly you're just, skating yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> halfway through a uh, half through a thing there Kleine crane's gonna hear a ding 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 like, shut up i'm trying to perform i but can I imagine just, it um being, uh, happening somewhere like a curling event where they're really yes. kind of focused. Yeah. There you go, Colin. And this is where you get Christopher like Walken on board. Quietly. <laughs> more, more cowbell. Like this just needs to be a thing, right? Where is Christopher Walken advertising all these winter sports, Colin? <laughs> I don't know. We'll bring it into all the sports. So yeah, we'll you, start you attending. Can't, you can't really be at the top of mobile course and just, you, you know, turn your head and say, I need absolute silence for this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody quiet. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Not going until it's dead silence. <laughs> uh, you know, it was um, the last event I attended was the Calgary World Cup in February 1st, 2020. And I remember flying out there and seeing one or two people with masks and thinking, oh, this COVID thing they're talking about. I mean, I'm glad this isn't two or three months from now because imagine how that could affect everything. Uh, <laughs> February 1st, 2000, and three weeks later, the season's called. They're like, that's it, we're done. And then, of course, you follow that up with the 2020-2021 the season, which is abbreviated as well. Um, did you find it was harder to get into the groove? Are you the type of skier where – the competitions really help build your skill um, or is, is it more in training for you? And then the amount of competitions is irrelevant. Um, I think for me, the, the way I was really impacted the most is that I love competing. So it was just a bit disappointing to not be able to compete as much as we normally would. But then I, I tried to look at the positives in that we had a massive chunk of training in the middle of the North American season over um, 2020, 2021, um, where we were actually based in Finland for, you know, about eight weeks where we just trained through that whole period that we would not normally get throughout the um, international season. So that was really good. And I was able to take advantage of that, especially knowing that this season, it's going to be very busy com- competing pretty much every week leading up to the game. So it was great to get a good chunk of training in there. But it's interesting that you point that out about Calgary 2020 I actually wasn't there I was injured at the time but I flew out to Deer Valley to help um, support the team and do a little bit of media coverage for that event Um, and that was the first time I'd kind of been flying since the pandemic had begun and few people were starting to wear masks a few weren't 
But then fast forward 12 months to the season just gone and we were masks pretty much for four months. We had masks on. So, um, yeah, it was a completely different experience um, competing in a pandemic. But as athletes, I think we're, we're pretty good at being able to adapt to change. And um, I definitely tried to use a lot of the tools in my, my athlete kit to, to handle some of the changes that were thrown our way. That's what I was going to ask because we've talked to a lot of athletes where, you know, training is shut down. I mean, you can't go to a track if you're a runner or whatever, a, a speed oval if you're a skater. I mean, were there any areas where, you know, your regular training routine that you'd go through on this week of this month suddenly just wasn't there and you had to, what were some of the ways you had to adapt to training? Yeah. So since going back all the way to Vancouver, 2010, um, our, our year was pretty much set out. Um, calendar year was pretty much set out a year, a year in advance, we knew what training camps we were doing every year. It was pretty much the same. We'd be, you know, in Canada in the, in May, then we'd be back in Australia for our winter. We'd go to Switzerland in um, October. It was kind of the same every year. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits and the plan's completely out the window and we had to adapt and change to that. Um, when the pandemic first hit, I was actually um, recovering from an injury. I had a broken collarbone and broken ribs so I had surgery and was rehabbing so my plan was going to be different anyway um, I was back at home in the gym rehabbing and then Australia went into lockdown so um, I was just rehabbing from home working out in the gym and as soon as my collarbone was good to go again um, that's really when <laughs> Australia went into a very strict lockdown and we couldn't really do too much I was ready to water amp but we weren't able to get out that we were um, in lockdown at home. So uh, I had to change my way of thinking about right, be like, okay, I need to use this time differently. Now I'm going to get really strong and fit. And um, when this thing blows over, which, you know, it'll probably be two weeks, we'll be fine and we'll be ready to go. Um, two, weeks, two weeks turned into a lot longer. Um, but then we, we ended up uh, being able to ski in Australia, which was, was fantastic back in Perisher on that um, World Cup standard bogle course. Uh, then we were able to train on the Jeff, Jeff Hankey Olympic Training Centre, the water ramp up in Queensland um, for the first time ever, which was really, it came just at the right time. Um, so we were able to train on home soil because by this point in time, Australia had banned international travel. So, um, yeah, that was really lucky. We couldn't go to Zermatt, but we were able to water ramp, which was fantastic. Um, and then we headed away for the season um, to Rooka and, got exemption to to go over and compete internationally so it was very different preparation leading in but we just tried to make the most of um the cards that we've been dealt you mentioned the the injury um tell us a little bit about that crash in in, in china and and how how's the recovery gone i mean did you find that it affected anything kind of you know it, it changed much when when you hit that ramp for the first time after you have such a big crash like that i mean kind of a, obviously pretty tricky period to kind of knocking yourself yeah. out breaking a few ribs and a collarbone <laughs> to kind of going back up yeah. there on the course it was definitely the most serious injury i've ever had um so back in 2019 december in china uh was in the dual mogul competition at the world cup i crashed just after the top jump um head first hit the mogul and knocked myself out so then I slid about 70 meters head first down the moguls hitting every mogul as I went um so I think on that first impact uh when I knocked myself out was when I broke the collarbone and then hitting all the moguls as I slid down was when I broke the ribs but um 
luckily I was unconscious for that the entire time. So I don't remember any of it. I've watched the video once and I don't ever want to watch it again. Um, so then I was taken to a, um, by an ambulance, ambulance to a Chinese hospital, had x-rays and it showed the extent of my injuries. I had to stay in China for a few extra days before I was cleared to come home and have surgery. Um, but yeah, I think it was really lucky that I don't remember it because um, it doesn't affect me. I was just itching to get back skiing again and into doing what I love. And, um, you know, I try not to think about it too much. It's just, it's part of our sport. It's, it's a dangerous sport. And, um, you know, that's what makes it exciting is the fact that there is that sort of extreme element. Um, but luckily I'm healthy now and I regained full range of motion with my shoulder thanks to um, a fantastic surgeon and um, the OWI with their incredible rehab services and, um, and physios and, I'm lucky to have a really good team around me that that helped me get back in shape. Uh, I'm actually curious about that one time you watched the video too, because uh, it, it almost sounds funny to say like, oh, I'm glad I was unconscious for the whole thing. But uh, I mean, when you see some of these crashes, I mean, they, they look brutal. I mean, it, it would make me afraid to do it. And I'm not the one who crashed. My <laughs> wife injured her. She broke her tailbone tobogganing years ago. And to this day, she re- she refuses Dangerous to sport. yeah she she refuses to go near a hill on a toboggan. But uh, what what compelled you to watch the video the first time? Like somebody said, you really got to see this. Like it's spectacular. Yeah, so the, the only reason I watched it was our um, uh, head of medical at the moment at the time was was over there in China with us and he had to assess me, do the concussion test with me and he just wanted me to watch it to see if it jogs my memory at all and wow. I watched it and I'm like, I, what? I did that at what? And then I just keep my, seeing myself fighting I'm like, oh, that's why that leg hurts. Oh, no wonder my hips <laughs> were. Oh, yeah, that was that rib. Like, um, but then I watched it. I was like, I don't remember it. And no, I'm not going to watch that again. <laughs> <laughs> Which does it then, just on the physical side of things, though, when you are competing, I mean, you, you mentioned like, that's why that's sore, that's why that's sore. Do you, do you find now that when you're competing that it still affects your performance or is kind of the body right up to shape where it was before the injury? No, I I. I really lucky that I had a full recovery um when I had surgery on my collarbone the surgeon said he couldn't guarantee that I'd get full range of motion back um but he did say oh I'll give you the smallest plate I actually had a hook plate that went across and down under the acromion and he said I'll give you the smallest possible one so that we can get as much range of motion as we can and then after three months we'll take it out he said, but there's no guarantee that it'll be um, back as it was. And then after my surgery, he told me that during the surgery, he actually bent the metal a little bit to give me a little extra room. Um, wow. So maybe that's why I was able to, to get the full Thank range back. Um, yeah. <laughs> so now I've got an Ali star and a good story. But other than that, um, I gained full um, full range of motion back and, and I'm healthy. So very lucky. And um, I definitely want to make the most of the healthy body now while I can. You know, you had a uh, season cut short with injury. You had short season with COVID. We're getting close to the start of the season. Now. I mean, where, where are you at right now as we're getting ready? I mean, is your mind focused on I've got a season to start or is it focused on Beijing? Are, are you in the middle of training? I know I saw the Defer La Point sisters posting there in the middle of training camps right now. So I'm assuming training, training camps are going around for you as well. Yeah. So we just had a, a really long and successful training camp back here in Australia um, on top of dream over in Perishaw. So I spent the good part of the winter there uh, training on snow and we knew that we weren't going to be able to head 
over to Europe in what's our spring, but the fall over there um, to train like a lot of the other teams were. So we really tried to maximize what we could on snow in Australia. And um, we were really lucky that we skied all the way through till uh, middle to end of September and um, skied in the spring slush, which was always a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, we, we had a good season, good season of snow. So that enabled us to do it there and fantastic snowmaking. Um, so yeah, got a lot of skiing in and now just spending a little bit of time at home, um, doing a little bit more SNC work and, and gym work, also spending a bit of time with family before we head off to, to Europe again to start the season. Um, we're heading away a little bit earlier this year because we are missing out on the, the Zermatt camp that we'd normally do in October. Um, yeah, but everything's in full swing and I'm really excited to, to get going and get back in the start gate with, with the bib on. By the time this airs, it will be a little bit closer to Beijing. So I guess for people at home who are listening to this and kind of want to follow the progress, like what is the the, the process to qualify for Beijing? Is it all rankings points? Does Australia have a designated couple of slots and you've got to remain in the, the top couple? Like kind of what's that process for you to get to a fourth Olympic Games? Yeah, so the Olympic qualifying uh, process actually started at the start of last international season. So that would have been Luca. Um, back in December 2020. Um, so that's still going on now when, when the World Cup starts this season. And basically Australia has, well, all of the countries can qualify for men and for women for mogul skiing. And to qualify, every country has their own individual requirements, but the one that's sort of based across the board um, for all countries is you need a top 30 result and then you need to be in the top four of the Olympic adjusted field in the world ranking field. So that really depends on what, um, how many people the other nations will send. So whether they send four women or maybe only three women, so then other people can, can get bumped in. Um, so I've ticked a few of those boxes and now it's about staying healthy and, and staying within those top four Australian women. Um, and then we've got a, another couple of World Cups to, to do to, to tackle to stay in that top four and, and obviously just trying to stay healthy and, and better my performance so that I can put myself in the best position to, to compete really well in Beijing. And just on that, it'd be your fourth Olympics, as I just said. I mean, that's putting you in some pretty unique Australian winter olympic uh company obviously lydia went to five stephen bradbury went to four I'm, I'm trying to off the top of my head who else went to four but i mean it's not a it's not a very big club the sort of uh the yeah. four and five time i mean again <laughs> you're still young i mean you could be pushing for six i feel you've got yeah, another couple in I you mean, there Britt. i was very lucky to squeak vancouver in there that was a pretty special one um canada definitely put on a good show there so i'm really grateful that i got to go to those games um yeah it really depends on how well the body holds up at the moment i'm just taking it let's say one one game at a time and then we'll we'll make a, an assessment about um what happens after that well just just quickly on that just saying to go towards six that would be 2030 and then vancouver in the running to host those games again so it would be a nice ah. little bookend of the you know vancouver Ooh. 2010 vancouver 2030 look Do at that it. Mm, now you're starting to plant some seeds. Yeah, hey, that would be uh, pretty cool. Patterns, patterns work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, you've got, and then you've got uh, 
Brisbane 2032 Switch summer summer Olympics. Yeah. And maybe I need to start thinking about what summer hey. sport I can transfer Well, technically, to. technically Brisbane is a winter Olympics. It's been held in the winter in Australia. So push, I've heard push the organising committee to add moguls. Have it at the Jeff Henke Centre. Like, just have summer moguls. Like, there if you go. Ski oh, jumping. Let's make ski. If we make ski jumping an Olympic Water event, Olympics. you're in. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Oh, that Australia's would be never dream. had a ski jumper, so that would work. <laughs> now, I, I have a question just as a fan of the sport. Uh, you know, I, I would assume everybody's friendly. I mean, you know, you're all competing against each other, but, you know, you said you know, Andy Naughty, you, you love her and everything. Uh, but when there are skiers like Mikel Kingsbury and Perrin Lafont, who don't seem to ever give up that that yellow bib. Is there a small part of you or Matt who's like, you know what, as long as it's not them, like look, somebody take them down for at least one week. I mean, I can't speak for Matt, but for myself, it's, you know, she's an incredible skier and she's had some amazing results. So kudos to her. And um, she's definitely, definitely got a massive target on her back going into these games. But for me, I think my sporting pursuits have always been really personal about um, being the best skier that I can possibly be, and um, I definitely want to be be on top and be the winner. But I don't. I, I guess I don't really um, look to other people and go, "Oh, I want to beat them." It's more about, okay, I want to be the best that there is in general. So, um, yeah, that's that's really about my my take on it. And, and just out of curiosity, how how are you feeling going into Beijing compared to how you felt going into Sochi or Pyeongchang? Yeah, um, in a different position again. Uh, I, I don't have that kind of pressure and, and weight on my shoulders that I had for the last games, I guess. Um, and talking to Elisa the other night, she sort of asked me the same question. And I said, well, you know what? It's kind of like, I feel like I have nothing to lose. So I just want to make the most of having um, a healthy body and a massive passion for the sport and determination to ski the best I possibly can. And I'm really motivated motivated by doing new tricks and um you know, and, and ticking those boxes and those goals. And um, yeah, I just want to go out there and, and make the absolute most of it because these these experiences are unique and um, who knows how much longer my body can do this for. So I'm really excited. It's going to be very different this time around with all the COVID protocols and, and not having my family there. But um, yeah, I, I want to make the most of the opportunities that I've, I'm being given. I've got a couple of ones here that are a bit interesting here. Now, now bear with me here, Brett, and Colin doesn't even know I'm going to ask these. The first part of this question is for Colin's benefit, all right? Now, behind <laughs> him, you will see his little mogul shrine. He loves the deferral <laughs> point, sisters, like a little bit too much for a married man. <laughs> now, can you give him any advice into if he was going to, like, message him to come on the show? Like, is there some sort of, like, secret that he should know that, like, they're really into, like, I don't know, soccer that if he just gets onto the page about soccer that all of a sudden hey like i like this guy i'll come on off the podium like can you give colin any advice to try and get in with the deferral point sisters oh gosh i don't know um i don't know them all that well i'm trying to think i don't know i I think (laughs) when it comes to i don't know for me i i'm just all about promoting the sport and um <laughs> i know that colin loves mobile skiing so when you know when you guys ask me to jump on the podcast i'm like yep i'm in um but for the default point i don't know i don't know what their motivation is so um you know you have to do a little bit more research there i tried colin. i should when i 
When I got the pictures, that would have been the perfect opportunity. Do you want to come on the show? I don't God, know. I, like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you can ask Andy. She's a former teammate of them. Yeah. There you go. Come on. Come on, Colin. Now, another one, Colin mentioned we did commentary during Pyeongchang. It was a, that was our very first commentary we ever did, wasn't it, Colin? Yeah. Like, oh, no, we did rowing during, uh, we did Kim Brennan's race back in uh, Rio, but uh, we've oh, expanded. We've expanded our commentary repertoire. We actually do a bit more prep. We did about 10 or 11 days worth of commentary during Tokyo. So we're prepping for Beijing. Now, Jared, our co-host, he had our very famous (laughs) mogling call of commentating by simply going mogul, 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 jump, mogul, 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 jump. Can you maybe give us some more advice in terms of what we should be saying rather than just simply going mogul, 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 jump, mogul, 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 jump? Well, okay, so... Maybe to one of the things that you could outline to the listeners is and the viewers is what you're actually looking for on the mogul run. So maybe the breakdown of what moguls is. So it's based 60% on the turn technique, 20% on the jumps, and then 20% on the speed. So maybe you can talk about what's actually going in, going on on <laughs> during that process of them skiing down mogul, mogul, mogul. <laughs> So are they keeping their feet together? Um, what's the angulation that, that's going on there? The absorption? Um, are there any leg splits? And then you can talk about the jumps, what tricks they're doing, uh, how they're landing them. Are their feet together when they land? Is there much um, collapse with the chest? Is the upper body stable and steady as they're skiing down the moguls? Um, and then, of course, a little bit of background on the athletes. So um, that'll require a little bit of um, research and preparation. That's too hard. See, Britt, sorry. You just made like, I'm sticking with the mogul, mogul, mogul. That's just too much for us. We're we're two lazy (laughs) podcast hosts. We don't have time for that. Well, then what do you say when someone crashes? (laughs) Bugger. Uh, <laughs> which I think I we we, well. we commented a lot on. Oh, that's your favourite mogul. That's that's the one she's yeah, jumping on They're right going there, for the so. favourite mogul. But, that's a favourite one. There, there. The only thing we didn't do is the timing, like you said, with the one second, two, three, four, five. All right, there are just <laughs> so if we start counting along with it, that, that'll you know, maybe yeah, you're the expert bit. commentator. Like you've got two Aussies who watch this sport every four years, right? Let's like I was asking you to commentate on AFL. You're not going to do it. Um, and on that, on that notion, now you brought up to Colin during the last interview, which I've been dying to to know why somebody from the state of Victoria is a Brisbane Lions supporter. Now, is this a, I know. Okay, is this a so, Fitzroy history sort of thing yeah, or is that where yeah, it comes there's from? A, there's a bit of a story there. So my grandfather, who is now 92 years old, he was treasurer of the Fitzroy Football Club. So right. he's basically said that, you know, when Fitzroy and then Brisbane joined together to make the Brisbane Lions, Fitzroy Bears, um, Sorry, Brisbane Bears, Fitzroy Lions joined together to make the Brisbane Lions. My grandfather obviously kept following them. Um, and ever since I've been born, my grandfather has <laughs> said that we have to support the Brisbane yep. Lions. Well, you and move out of home, the, right? That's the all threat. All the grandchildren. <laughs> no, um, if we don't support the Brisbane Lions, we're not included is Will. So oh, wow. More of a threat. Yeah, okay. I just got threatened to get kicked out of home if I didn't go for Carlton. It's like, you're three years old, you don't go for Carlton, you're on the street. I'm like, okay, well, I'll go for Carlton. Um, yeah, but no, I love the Lions. Loved watching um, Charlie Cameron play this season. I'm a bit of a Charlie Cameron fan. So, um, yeah, it was, it was good fun. Well, the one quick thing I want to add is we're trying to get all our Winter Olympian guests when you do the whole press with Channel 7, do the interviews, this is what you've been up to, to throw in a sneaky word, right, just like as a nod to us. So oh. 
I'm giving you the really difficult challenge to throw in the word Akamanis. Can you add the Akamanis. word oh, Like, oh, yeah, oh, when I'm at the top of the hill, easily. I think of the great Jason Akamanis. I don't know, like maybe. But A I- couple of years ago on tour, um, the boys on our team all thought it would be a great idea to dye their hair like bleach yeah. blonde, <laughs> grow out their mussies, and then dye the mussies black. So they all just look like Akamanis. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I thought you were going to give me some, like, difficult word like you know you have to randomly throw in the word donkey or something like that oh, hey but, go for it there you go you, know, you just gave um, yourself a new word we'll take it donkey racamanis <laughs> i would say our listeners would almost demand if you're being interviewed just you know oh so so what happened up there you know it was just one after the other mogul 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 <laughs> <laughs> i mean pretty much it's left right left right <laughs> well there you go you donkey or acomanus then channel seven uh, you've got mel mclaughlin right. staring you in the face you've got to think of this moment right now brit and go okay donkey acomanus accepted <laughs> done uh before we let you go uh where can people follow you can they follow you online uh anything exciting you want to plug right now yeah, so I try and keep people up to date on my skiing journey, mostly on Instagram. So that's Brit underscore mogul underscore Cox. Um, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, that's where I probably do the most of my updates, but I'm also on Facebook, um, Brittany Cox fans on Facebook. Um, but yeah, generally on Instagram, I try and keep people updated on my skiing adventures, cycling, yoga, all of that kind of thing. And hopefully um, take people along the, along the journey at the Beijing Olympics. And dog photos too. Tell us about your dog quickly. We I, oh, I love the dog absolutely. photos. Yes. So, Colin, you're going to love this. I actually have a Canadian dog. He is a Nova Scotia duck calling retriever. Wow. Oh, loves nice. the snow, loves swimming, and I'm at home in that beauty with my dog at the moment, so spending a bit of time with him before I head away for the season. I, I've always seen a couple of times off camera, like, is she petting the dog right now? I bet you are, though, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> He is. I'm trying to make sure he doesn't bark, actually. Like he gets bark <laughs> uh, it was great to have you back on here. And, you know, we, we have a plan in place now. So uh, four, eight years, we will definitely catch up again. Oh, sounds good. Um, my knees will probably have copped a bit of a beating, a few more moguls by then, but I'll look forward to chatting with you guys. once again Brittany for joining us um this is so interesting that we get to do these revisiting interviews because you think you talk to somebody most of the time we have somebody on for an interview we are more interested in finding out how they got into the sport the early days but be able to pick up from somebody who was basically having their best season ever and then now we get to talk about how that season ended which you know, was way better than uh, anybody could have hoped for uh it's really interesting to do these so we, we gotta plan more of these revisiting interviews let's just hope that they don't listen to our commentary the first time around and realize we're the reason that they failed <laughs> when i when i asked that commentary question i was very tempted to bring up the fact that this maybe brought the because the thing that i don't know if we've ever really revisited too much with you colin is that yeah i'm the curse yeah i get it no australian athlete has ever meddled since being interviewed by me ah, ha, ha, hilarious but you famously said on uh, it was either our preview or our uh, looking ahead to Pyeongchang uh, episode that you essentially said, you are guaranteed a medal with Brittany Cox. There's no way you yeah. will not get a medal with Brittany Cox. And and here we are. 
uh you know so like i just want to say like ah ha, 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 you you said this about high jumpers ha, ha, ha you said about this i'm going to play the clip like if i could be bothered going back to listen and find that clip i would right now but i've been doing so much editing recently that i'm not but you said it you said that she was guaranteed to win a medal and she didn't so it's on you too colin I, you know it's funny because i also didn't realize until i started asking that question where i'm like you know it was basically we interviewed you and we interviewed Andy. The reason we interviewed her and Andy Naughty is because we thought these are the locks. They're the ones who are going to meddle. So it all we started with Colin. But, but let's just say, Britt, if you're still listening to this part of the interview, <laughs> and of course you are, right? But um, we've had much more success since then. Uh, we have interviewed have multiple we? people. Yeah, I have. I mean, well, Ben's you still have. a problem as far as we know. But one, many one people... <laughs> Many people I've interviewed went on to medal in the last Olympics. So, but um, no gold. Seriously though, like the curse is still kind of in out. Of, <laughs> what is the purse? Because silvers and bronze are great, but like no, no gold. And again, as as somebody who's in the Australians, we've not had an Australian medal since coming right, on so this show. If she doesn't so. win gold this time around, we know she's not coming back in another four years. So thanks, Ben. Again, this is why we need more Americans on this damn show and, like, <laughs> Germans and, and, like, British Chinese. people and, like, China. Like, uh, uh, hey, you know what? Rock people. Steam uh, Nation I Rock. I mentioned in the interview, you know, nobody beats Mikkel Kingsbury, it seems. Nobody beats Prin Lafont. Come on the show, Mikkel. Come on. All the mogul skiers out there. Encourage you don't Mikkel want them on the show. Turin. You want them to keep winning? Come on. Oh, that well, I, I, I don't your mind purpose. spreading it around. So, I mean, you know, put the word out there if you want to knock Perrin or well, you, Mikkel you know off the we podium. need? We need all those damn Kiwis. we got all those bronzes in Pyeongchang. Yeah. Oh, look at us, bro. We're winning bronze medals. Oh. No, stop it, New Zealand. <laughs> Let's get the entire Netherlands speed skating team on here. <laughs> hey, Every once. medal is up for grab. Every okay, crossing live to Amsterdam, we have all members of the, and like, oh, hello, I'm the Dutch. Good for you. I'm, I was going to try and do a Dutch accent, but I don't want to offend. That's, I, I'm not I'm not up to offending the Dutch yet. I'm still on the don't, You don't know what a Dutch but accent sounds like. I, I do. Like, I could give you a, my, my I, I had a Dutch friend once and I used to, because to me, Dutch sound like they're speaking Elvish or something like that. Like, it's a great, it's a great accent. Like, I really like love the Dutch accent and I used to make fun of her because I'd be like, oh, feed, food, feed, I'm from the Netherlands. And she'd be like, no, man, that's not how we sound. And she, You just, sound like would... the Swedish chef from the Muppets when you do that. <laughs> it's, they've got like that real, like, no, I'm not doing it. No, 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 sorry. No, we're not. That, that's episode like, you know, 412. Ben tries to do an accent from every country and officially gets cancelled. So hello to all our Dutch listeners and the Dutch skating team. We'll get you on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we're, we're getting very close to Beijing now. So keep getting excited because we're going to be bringing you daily coverage and um, lots of commentary. And now we have more to go on for our moguls commentary. I hope you were listening. <laughs> I hope you were listening to those tips. I'm just still going mogul, 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 bugger, basically. <laughs> but now we're just going to wait for our code words. So we'll Akamanis and donkey uh essentially is what we're looking for i'm actually can i just say i'm going to bring this up if i remember i probably won't but uh i need to learn during our uh beijing coverage more about jamie and tobogganing this is yeah uh, oh that sounds a like story. a fun story it is we'll, we will save that for the when tobogganing gets introduced <laughs> in vancouver 2030 uh but yeah there'll be lots of uh interviews still to come and beijing coverage i don't know where we are right now uh merry christmas close, if it's christmas time Happy New Year if it's New Year's. Happy Valentine's Day if we were delayed. I don't know. <laughs> Happy uh, Br- Brisbane opening ceremony day. We're here. It's 2032. <laughs> Who's going to light the cauldron? Will it be Kieran Perkins and Stephen Bradbury like we predicted? Find out soon. Oh, it's Jared Lubick. That's why he wasn't wow. here today. Okay. 
three-time Olympian after he qualified for Paris, Milan, Cortina, <laughs> and Los Angeles. Who would ever thunk it? Uh, but again, thank you for joining me on this one, Ben. It's good to get um, uh, a second set of questions. And thank you, Colin, for making me not do all the hard work for once in one of these interviews and just sit back <laughs> and uh, ask the dumb questions while you ask the smart ones. I appreciate it. Uh, make sure to subscribe to us wherever you can find us, like us, uh, follow us wherever you can find us. If it's outside of our house, we may have to call the authorities, but other than that, feel Not free my to... House. I'm lonely. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> Ben's door's wide open. Uh... There it is. Well, let's watch the Olympics together. I'm, I'm, I'm up to Antwerp. Let's, let's get on board. Uh, thank you for joining us again. Um, mogul, 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 and go left. What an episode. You loved every single second of it. It's been, again, just quickly reminding you once again, if you want to help us win a Sports Podcast Award, sportspodcastawards.com, register to vote, click on Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast section, listen to the other nominees, and then go, hey, Off the Podium's awesome. They're so good. They put in so much work and so much effort, and we just love them, and they deserve to go on the podium for once. Ben's awesome. Jared's awesome. Colin's okay, but he's also kind of awesome. We'd really appreciate it. And particularly if you've actually listened to the rest of this and ended up here, because generally I assume you've well and truly tuned out by now. But seriously, if you're at this point of the podcast, then you're a true listener. And that means that you're a true fan and you should vote for us. Sportspodcastawards.com. Do it now. We will thank you forever. Literally ever. Like every episode moving forward, we will thank you forever. Sportspodcastawards.com. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll speak to you next time on Off the Podium. I'm really going to go now. Bye.